good up. Do we say? I don't even know if we say time zones anymore, JB. So we are. Good evening from from Singapore. I'm Anthony Price, and I'm Jonathan Bradley. And I don't know what time zone it is or what time of the day it is, frankly, because we're in Singapore, uh, and it's going dark. It is, and and so I close one of the curtains. In fact, I need to turn the volume down a bit on this microphone because it's saying it's quite loud. There we go. That's not red lighting anymore. That's good news. So outside, um, it is sunset. Um, we are in in my hotel room of the two hotel rooms, which um, hopefully is is good acoustic for this type of thing. Um, but but I won't lie. I've never been in this position before. Um, sat face to face with JB without an audience of participants from our from one of our leadership programs but we're here doing a leadership program this week um and this is our first podcast so um if it's rubbish please do let us know because i guess the only way is up i hope jb um, it would be great to hear from you first of all what you think got us here sat here now well i think we were just a crazy couple of kids on a plane uh (laughs) having a conversation about things and stuff and leadership and people and all the kind of problems associated with those two areas. And we thought, ambitiously probably, uh, that we could make a bit of a difference uh, together uh, because of the experience that we've had uh, over the years. And what better format than than a podcast? There seems to be a lot of people doing it these days. Uh, some pretty good, uh, some not so good. Uh, we will let our listeners decide <laughs> where we fit uh, within that. But I just wanted to comment, and uh, your view out of your bedroom window is considerably more exciting than mine. <laughs> Why is this? Well, I, 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 I promise I didn't have any bias in reception on check-in. Um, but it is, so we are on the 13th floor. Um, I can see some various skyscrapers outside, and we're near the Chimes um, thing it's called, isn't it? I think that's, it's a very nice um, place and a big shopping mall, which we only discovered yesterday actually is an underground route to the office where we are this week, um, as opposed to humidity. Um, I but- get to look at uh, the innards of the hotel. Oh, uh, really? Which it, yeah, I'm, I'm looking oh, inside oh. Uh, other people's bedrooms. You get to look at old colonial Singapore, and I'm sure that if you looked a little bit further to your right, you'd probably see the very famous Raffles Hotel. Uh, I could be wrong, but it's all that old colonial stuff that you've obviously selected to have as your view uh, when you book the hotel. So um, I don't know about you, but before we get into the deep and dirty stuff, I, I have to say when we travel internationally, I always travel. I always have my room curtains open because it helps with the jet lag. Because I then wake up when the sun comes up. Do you know I'm the absolute opposite? The first thing I do is I shut the curtains. <laughs> well, if the views like that, I'm not surprised. Well, absolutely, because I didn't actually want anyone to see me. Um, <laughs> so it's that close and personal where I sleep. Anyway, I suppose we ought to to say a little bit more about what this is all about and um, w- w- what got us here in the first place, and. Um, so I, I guess from my side, so um, you and me have worked together on and off now, scarily, for 14, 13 years. Oh my God, how many children could we have had in that time? I think we are, at, well, double digits, I believe, between us, but enough about that for now. Um, and uh, like, like JB has mentioned, um, from my perspective, we've, we've always had audiences that have always been asking questions about what we can do in terms of further opportunity of leadership experience. 
and we've I've had the privilege of working with you, JB, for the last three years much more intensively, and we've probably trained and facilitated workshops for the best part of a thousand people now. I think yeah. across all those, you yeah. know, the virtual stuff and the in-person stuff, and. Um, I sense that um, people join our programs, they leave the program on a high and then we, 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 we push them off the side of a cliff and then we never talk to them again. And, and then uh, we fly off. Yeah. And, and because of the global nature of what we're doing, I guess we have a different spin on things. And that's always, for me, whenever I've spoken to people about what we do, they're always fascinated and want to know more. And I guess um, I've always been interested in podcasting, I won't lie. Um, you and I have a background in radio as well, so this and we have. I have a face for radio. I mean, you're much more beautiful than I. I know. Uh, <laughs> and and here we are. Um, but that that's what I, got me here, I guess. Yeah. Well, I I've I've been intrigued about uh, the the world of the the podcast. I think there's a vodcast sort of thing that you can do as well. Mm. But I, I'm I'm going to declare at this point uh, in the proceedings that I have absolutely no technical ability whatsoever. Um, so I I am I'm intrigued actually by by what we're doing, and that is that is a fascination to me, and I and I'm quite excited by the very very large microphone that you <laughs> that you've supplied for our podcast, and I'm looking at it now, and it is a magnificent. Uh, thing made by uh, what's it called? Samson. Samson, mm. uh, and um, you can stick all sorts of things in it, and it's got about four or five different knobs on the side that do all sorts of things. And and I think for the for the podcast listener, it's worthwhile saying that that is all done on your side. All mm. I have to do is turn up and speak. I hope otherwise right. there there will be some disappointment from from the listeners. Well, you are the brains, you know, oh, well, and, and the beauty, of course. Well, I I I don't know about that, but I um I I think that there are uh, both of us uh, come together with some experience of radio, uh, radio broadcasting. Once you've been in radio, you cannot get it out of your system. I don't think no. uh, we are both a couple of old anoraks really masquerading as uh, superstar high-flying global executives on a mission now to share our infinite wisdom yep um, and uh, so I, I I think this is this is this is pushing the boundaries it's pushing the frontiers off my face uh, in, in terms of technology uh, I'm excited about that challenge uh, I'm very excited about taking our uh, work into another dimension and hopefully uh, this will be relevant, uh, compelling and entertaining, which I steal from my radio days, yeah. uh, uh, for, for our audience. And I, I will be throwing everything that I have in terms of my knowledge uh, experience uh, and whatever training has come my way, uh, and programs and things that I've been on. So uh, for me, uh, this is a, this is an opportunity to to share all of that uh, with with you actually uh, as as my kind of uh, co-host. Uh, yeah. And and I I think I I, I think of a, a a kind of a manager in an organisation when I'm doing this stuff. Mm. Uh, where you know they're thrust into a senior um, management role, 
and they've got all the technical abilities uh, they've got there because of that. Uh, they're either really great at selling or really great at uh, production or really great at uh, finance or whatever it happens to be. And then suddenly, oh my God, I've got a whole load of loons to manage. Uh, you know, some of them are, are, are vaguely normal. Uh, some of them are identified flying objects. Um, and others are actually incredibly talented individuals. These challenges, I know, get you out of bed in the morning as well. Yeah. Uh, and I guess the, 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 the beauty of us working together is you have an external view of multiple organisations and the work you've done um, as, as the founder of your company. Where I've kind of come up is I have run small businesses and I have managed small teams but as JB's just alluded to, I um, I was one of those individuals that was technically very capable and did well, and all of a sudden was plucked from in in you know in um, uh, what's the word um, was plucked from nowhere obscurity. That's I the, think word. Is the word. Thank you. you. That's obscurity. jet lag. <laughs> um, I I then was put in charge of a team of people, and and very quickly realised that managing people is a you know and, and human emotions is a massively different task to the individual contributor role and how do you bring people on a journey with you how do you inspire them with with belonging and purpose and meaning in what they do and and I'll be honest after 6 8 weeks in that job I wanted to go back to just being that lonely old individual contributor um but over time um obviously working with the likes of you um it's it's allowed me to um, take an internal organisational view of the same challenges that other managers have and I guess what's inspired um, us working together on this is that we've got an opportunity now to look at how organisations work in different different locations around the world, recognise there's a lot of common problems that they all have. I think there is a myth, I don't know about your opinion, but my, I think there is a myth that cultural differences means that management behaviours need to be hugely different. And of course there's contrasts. But I think the basics of the stuff that we tend to see around organisations I've worked at in the past and currently, they're not dissimilar. And, it, and I think we can really help um, any line manager listening, whether you're a line manager at a senior level or a first line level, that there are some, some real interesting stuff out there that, uh, that hopefully we can share over the coming weeks and months, which will be of value to people. Um, in terms, I, I guess I should say at this point, we, we have a plan for the podcast. Today. Oh, good. What is it? Yeah, Alex? yeah. We're just going to ramble for, for, I mean, we're, we're 10 minutes in already, which is nice. Oh, my goodness. So there we go. So um, what we obviously, this first section was, I kind of guess, to set up the whole purpose of the podcast. What we um, have also done, because it's our first podcast today, we, we, we're going to try and have a theme each week. And we'll talk about the themes later on um, in the recording. Um, in a minute, we're going to um, go through a couple of questions we've kind of thought up. Um, which we're going to ask each other. Now, I don't know what JB's questions are, um, and he doesn't know what mine are, and we're going to go through those questions. Um, then um, today's theme, um, correct me if I'm wrong, JB, we were talking about this um, earlier before we hit record, um, trust and its importance of leadership in high-performing organisations and teams. Um, and then um, we'll have a kind of a, a conversation about some other podcasts. But this is where the listeners come in, um, which... Um, any of you that follow the social media feed um, or indeed me or JB on LinkedIn, um, we have opened up this podcast for people to ask questions on anything leadership. Now, I had two or three responses through direct message on LinkedIn. But what we have also done in advance of today's podcast is in the offices which we are currently running programs for, we stuck a poster up 
saying stick your questions on a post-it note. Um, other sticky notes are available. Um, and pose your questions and we'll have an attempt at answering them. Um, so, so I can I have five or six questions from there as well with some squiggly writing, but we'll, we'll give that a crack too. Um, so um, that is that, I guess. Um, so it, would it be useful now, JB, if, if I uh, ask you to introduce yourself to the audience for the first time? Okay. Um, so people call me JB uh, in uh, organisations that I work with. I've been trying to avoid that for years and years, but I, I seem to be stuck with it from my radio days. Uh, everyone likes to use their initials like CK, JB. Uh, anyway, I got called JB and I, and I cannot escape it. Uh, but if you find that um, too, too simplistic and too difficult, you could call me uh, Jonathan Bradley. Uh, that is my real name uh, when I was a small child. Uh, I used to call myself Jonathan Aubrey Strawberry Prince Charles Bradley uh, wow. when asked to introduce myself for some reason. I, I was probably highly pretentious uh, and ghastly, but anyway, there we are. I spent 17 years in commercial radio and loved every minute of it. And I think one of the highlights of my experience of radio was uh, running a particular station uh, in Bristol called GWRFM. It led on to uh, being involved in other radio stations in a, in a large uh, radio company. At the time it was called GWR Group PLC and went on to become GCAP Media PLC. Uh, I joined that business as a promotions and, execu uh, promotions and sponsorship executive. And uh, it was equivalent to making the tea, basically, in a, in a promotions department. Uh, the promotions manager, who was there at the time, absolutely hated my guts because I kept opening the window uh, because I was overheating next to the computer, which took up most of my desk. This was the uh, exciting uh, days of uh, commercial radio, uh, where everything was done on a shoestring. And I loved that. I absolutely loved it. And it, it came after the devastating news uh, from my previous uh, employer, a guy called John Van Zwietering uh, at Spectrum International, where I went out selling uh, these, these things, which I still don't understand, called spectrophotometers. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I was completely and utterly useless at this job. And um, John said to me in his uh, Dutch voice, uh, Jonathan, you will never, ne oh, I can't do the voice now, forget that. <laughs> uh, forget, the, forget the voice. But he said, you'll never end up selling anything. Uh, you're, you're, you're completely useless at selling. And uh, how motivational was that? Uh, it was basically firing me with, a, with, a, with an enthusiasm that I'd never, never felt before. And um, so I thought, well, bugger that for a game of soldiers I'm going to go and do something more interesting to cut a long story short I ended up in radio and sold my little socks off and uh, I loved selling radio stuff and radio stuff at the, in those days you could you could create all sorts of things and go and sell it to all sorts of clients ended up in national sales uh, headed up uh, national sales and marketing up in London in Regent Street 
uh, and then started getting into serious management in, in radio stations and um, managing people who were unmanageable, uh, people with egos the size of planets. And I loved them all. And I've never, never really looked back because if you can manage anything like a breakfast show presenter in a commercial radio, you can manage anything. And it actually got me into this world. Um, and I trained in, in coaching and psychology and organizational development and all sorts of uh, wonderful things that I was uh, able to, to have um, in, in my life. I was able to, to train and develop and a lot of that was part of um, being, being in the radio world, uh, gave me lots of opportunity to, to do all of that stuff. So I set up my company uh, 13 years ago, uh, Trimodus and I've uh, been working on that uh, model ever since, which is basically uh, a, a leader, a manager, and a coach turning up at work and giving some sort of present presentation of, of that. Uh, and I've been working with senior execs now for, for a number of years in helping them to, to increase the quality uh, in all of those areas of, of leadership management and coaching with trust very much at the the center uh, of that sorry that was a very long-winded way of describing who the hell I am there's probably more that I should say but hopefully that's sufficient for now I reckon so and the good thing is, is it's all going to come out in the coming weeks and months well, hopefully you'll be able to edit out the rubbish no and, no uh, well, hey we're, we might go unedited and just see, <laughs> oh, no. see what the, 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 the audience think oh, God help us um, so from my side then, um, so I, I've had a kind of a, a, a not dissimilar career. I started doing the Black Thunders um, for the commercial radio group that I used to work for um, and did not dissimilar, was out doing car sticker blitzing, as they used to call it back in the day, um, and um, had a massive passion for radio. I was quite inspired by it. I think you may have heard of the guy. He's a presenter called Chris Moyles. Yeah. Uh, and in the UK, of course, um, he's quite well known, but elsewhere around the world, he's probably a Howard Stern light type of character but as a teenager he massively inspired me and I, I then uh, frustrated my, my dad by saying I wanted to work in radio um, when he wanted me to go into probably a much more structured education um, and um, through um, through chance I guess and, and life choices I then had an opportunity to start selling radio um, and and like um, Jonathan, sorry, I won't call you JB ever again. Um, like Jonathan um, uh, alluded to, um, radio, when you're passionate about something, selling it is, is very easy and, uh, and I became successful at that. Um, and then um, eventually ended up managing um, salespeople and not dissimilar to what uh, JB Jonathan has, has, has mentioned, um, um, managing successful salespeople is, is a pain in the ass. Um, because they believe they have a right to behave however they want to behave and, and sometimes you tolerated that behavior because of the performance and you had a, a, a quota of people to bring in. So performance managing these types of individuals wasn't easy and conventional management books were not giving me the guidance and I certainly then through courses I attended actually and how I met Jonathan was was this discovery of an alternative world and, and JB's fascinating triangle, which I'm sure over time we'll, we'll talk about. Um, and, and then I left radio and went into work in, in, in digital media um, with Google and, and directory advertising um, for a while um, and then moved into sales education. Um, and then more recently, I then was stupidly crazy and decided to leave a safe role in that organization 
um, to go and set up an app development company, um, uh, which um, was founded on an idea of developing an app just before smartphones became the thing. Um, and then um, managed to get a very successful app launched in the UK, which which got um, hundreds of thousands of users downloading it um, via a web app at the time. Um, got debated in the Houses of Parliament. Uh, had a, 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 a snotty letter from the Mayor of London at the time, a guy called Boris, I think. He's, he's, he's someone we're familiar with, I think, uh, probably worldwide at the moment. So I still bring out that letter for amusement purposes and show friends and family. Um, I think it was his signature on the bottom, not his secretary. Anyway, um, and then um, over time with the complications of the app development business, um, I had an opportunity to exit and, and sell, um, um, which is what we did. And then um, I moved back into education or sales education originally um, with a global organization called IHS. Um, worked successfully there, um, leading their sales education and, and sales strategy um, for the EMEA region and then kind of broadened that out across the world. And then um, about three and a half years ago, had an opportunity to um, do sales education with another organization who then said, how about you come and run our entire learning function? Um, and three years later, um, now have an academy um, launching across our organization um, with a, a fantastic team. And one of the things that became very popular at my time at IHS and now TMF um, is the recognition of a leadership um, in business being critical, as critical to the company's performance and success as sales and customer. Um, and one of the, the, the passions I've always had for learning is proving its worth in business. Um, and actually, if we can get the leadership behaviors right in a business, I sense that, that actually it can have a massive impact on the company's objectives being achieved. Um, and whilst it isn't obvious um, to a financial financial person in an organization. Um, I think investing in leaders um, for their competencies and soft skills is massively powerful, which is what's inspired me to to really kind of focus on my specialism, broadening from outside of sales into leadership. I have the privilege of also leading an, my own team. So I have hands-on experience of, of practicing what I preach and I hope any of my team listening would testify to that. Um, but equally, you know, I know every day is a learning day and certainly from going around the world, what I'm doing at the minute with our leadership programs that we do internally is that there is, uh, you know, some really great behaviors that exist in business, which we want to share. But equally, there are some behaviors that, as you probably would all agree, you never want to work for that manager again. And I would hope that people listening to this podcast want people working for them to want to work for them again in other organizations. And that's the reputation I would hope I would portray to my people. And I think hopefully what will come from these podcasts is ways you can change things for yourself that will have an impact on the performance of your people and the engagement they have with the organization and you as a line manager. So there's probably a real rambled um, potted history of me. So, well, I, I have two two questions, um, controversially, and and the first question is: Have I ever told you about the conversation I had with Prince Charles about Black Thunders? No. Okay. Well, that's the first one, and the the second one is: I, as you were talking there, it made me think about uh, who who is our audience? Mm. You know, who who are we hoping to talk to here? Um, because you know there might be people who might want to switch off now. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I, I'm not sure. Um, but so, w I, which in those two questions, there's a there's an opportunity to go either for the first one or or the second area. Uh, which would you like to go for? 
I would like the Prince Charles story. You first. want the Prince Charles yeah, story? Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. And any any of our radio friends that happen to be listening, thinking what on earth are they all about, they may relate to it. So. I'm not sure how many radio friends I actually told this story to, okay. but it is actually absolutely 100% true uh, that I was at uh, the uh, uh, polo event uh, near Tetbury in Gloucestershire, and it was all very posh. And I did feel slightly out of comfort zone. Um, and anyway, I was introduced to Prince Charles. And he had noticed that uh, there were these great big um, black thunders. Uh, and I will explain to the listener what they are in a second. Uh, near to where we were standing. And so Prince Charles turned to me, knowing that I was part of this radio business he said Jonathan what what are these these black thunders does it have black thunder written down the side in big letters in only only the way radio can do he said what 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 is it what is it black thunder and and I said well it it's basically um your lordship or whatever I called him (laughs) on that occasion I can't remember it was probably completely inappropriate but I said well it's a it's a promotional vehicle and what what do you what do you do that well, we we go round um, towns and villages and cities, uh, promoting the radio station and occasionally other things. And uh, then then he was told that uh, actually I was part of the the company that owned Classic FM. Um, so uh, he said, "So what about Classic FM? What do you do? What do you do with your Classic FM?" And, and I said, well, we, we, we play lots of very, very popular music. Um, and he said, well, I, I always prefer to hear the whole piece myself rather than just the clips. And the conversation sort of died at that point. And um, what came into my head, and this is, this is another true fact, actually, um, my distant relative, Sir Edmund Ludlow, signed the the death warrant of King Charles I. Now, I was extremely tempted to bring that into the conversation (laughs) uh, because I felt that he was being a little bit patronising towards me and my radio business. Um, But anyway, that is my my Prince Charles story. Uh, He he actually sent me Christmas cards for, for, for some years after that because I got involved for some reason with Prince's Trust. Um... And uh, anyway, uh, I, I think he's stopped doing that now, which is which is sad. But there we are. Yeah. Um, so to, sorry about that. I just thought that would be an interesting little diversion. Yeah. Um, so now when when we think of audience and uh, I, I wonder what what you have in your in your mind. Um, I, I, do you know what? I, I guess it, it could be everything from a first line manager who has just discovered us because they're desperate to get an understanding of how they can be looking after people now um, almost like a workplace parent um, because it it could be a whole host of these different things you think you are um, right through to a business owner chief executive who actually has an interest in in continuously thinking about the ways they do things Um, I I really like your your description of uh, life at stage life as a stage at work mm. you turn up each day and it is a performance and um and i always that has always resonated with me so i think from the audience's perspective 
um, it could be anybody and anyone that leads people, which I think is a, a pretty wide audience. Um, but also, it's global, um, not the radio company, but the the, the, the audience. Um, and I recognise that um, something that we'll probably talk about in a future episode is how you lead virtual teams. Um, you know, I only have two of my direct reports in the same country as me. So I recognise there could be some people listening to this thinking, um, OK, I lead, I've led a team historically in um, Bangkok and now I've got to lead a team in different time zones, different cultures uh, through um, technology majority of the time with perhaps one or two uh, off sites or team meetings that are face to face a year. How do I do that? So hopefully for them, this has been a discovery um, as a result of searching. And of course, people might be listening to this in six months time when we've either ended it because it's failed miserably or we are um, famous for saying something probably inappropriate. Um, but anyway, and they're listening to the back catalog going, well, they always is crazy. Um, so I, I've got no idea where this will go, um, but I would hope that people um, that are interested in about interested in how they lead their people, manage their people, and coach their people have brought them to this at any stage of their career, and it's still relevant. And they're also up for a bit of informality. Um, if if you're after, and I, I probably I hope you don't mind me saying this, JB, but if they're after prescriptive outcomes of every podcast, they're probably in the wrong place. <laughs> but if they're interested in in kind of listening and gaining some context and experience and some ideas to think about, then I think they're going to hopefully benefit from it from the audience's perspective. Well, I, so that that's useful because it, it makes me think about the audience that we don't want. Where did I put more? Oh, sorry, I was looking for more water. Oh, it, it's, it's, it, and I, I'm going to, I'm just going to throw it out there and it, and it is quite fresh off the, out of the head. Uh, which is always dangerous, oh, well. as you know. We'll get used to it. But uh, I'm thinking most most people in organisations, uh, I think, have at some point in their career, uh, in, in leadership, have uh, actually managers in any situation, have had this imposter syndrome moment where, where they think, who the heck am I to be managing these people? And um, I think most people that I know who are really, really good managers uh, have, have experienced that feeling um, because I, it's almost like a rite of passage that you've, you've got to go through these anxieties of, of feeling that you don't have all the skills uh, that you need and all the communication collaboration abilities uh, because there's always someone um, so much better uh, at it somewhere else in the organisation, or you know your boss, or or even dare you dare I say you know your your direct reports, and 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 it can be <laughs> it can be it can be quite isolating and quite scary, uh, and you know there's a lot of lot of people that I work with who feel that uh, imposter syndrome. Would you say that the best leaders need to have that? As a, as a, at some point, yes, yes. I I, I think I, I think it's quite a good thing to use as a as a as a kind of a, a conversation piece for us to, to talk about the anxieties that come yeah. uh, from people at every level in an organisation where they where they feel you know who the hell am I? I? That's quite a good question. Who who the hell am I to to 
be amongst these people? Who am I to lead this team? Um, and I think it's quite a good it's quite a good starting point. And and actually sometimes the answer to that uh, in self reflection can be can be quite scary. You know, there's often a shortfall. You find it. You find a gap in it. Hmm. And and then you know I think that that there are you know potential kind of worse um, scenarios and dangers for people to fall into uh, traps which uh, I, you know I think I would I would call sort of compare despair. You know, so you compare yourself uh, to other people in the organisation, and you you go into a sort of despair mode uh, because you're comparing uh, yourself to someone who has. A com- completely different approach to life that might fit uh, within that team or within that uh, area uh, or jurisdiction or whatever, and you know you're comparing yourself to someone completely different to yourself. And so, to cut a long story short, with this, I don't actually want to broadcast to people who've never experienced those things because I don't think they're real. Are they? Would they be listening anyway? To be honest, well, that's a really good question. <laughs> I, I don't think they would. No, I think they they think this was a whole lot of rubbish, which is absolutely fine. Yeah, I I would agree with you, and and, and I think you've talked before um, to people in in the organisations I've worked in the past about um, actually if they if they haven't got an open mind to learn, then why are they here? Um, and uh, from my perspective it's a bit like walking on stage or doing this podcast if there's no anxiety hitting record there is a complacency I think that exists in the individual Mm. I still after 13 years of starting L&D for example still get a little bit of butterflies before I start a program and that's because of this imposter syndrome you speak of how am I credible enough to give my infinite wisdom to yeah an who audience. are we yeah who the hell are we to do this um but 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 hey <laughs> but here we are yeah anyway we'll see um so tell us i'm sure on the reviews and incidentally if you do think this is rubbish then don't give us a one star <laughs> only give us five star because apparently we'll get more downloads if you have five star reviews so if we're, <coughs> if we're shit which now we have to put an e next to our submission because we've swore a few times oh. uh, actually i don't know i think certain swears are okay anyway who knows um, which might mean we're going that's good, to... That's good to know, Rand. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So don't say bugger off or anything like that. Oh, we'll get in trouble. I think I might have had one of those in there earlier. Oh, well. Well, we'll keep... No, that's good. We'll, we'll yeah. keep that. We'll okay. keep that. Um, just to keep it fresh. Because um, we, we're down with the kids. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would hope that, to your point, everyone has had imposter syndrome, as you call it, and I've not heard of that before. But I, even now, think, how on earth have I managed to get to where I've got to um, in career wise um, you know with with the, with the bumps in the road that I've had but um... I love that and so uh, I, I think I mean we go on uh, I think on our, our, our loose agenda at some point to talk about trust yeah and uh, I think trust is a is a is a fabulous. I think they call this a segue in radio. Do they? I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure that we're going to segue yet. But uh, the, I think that what's coming through here is that uh, you know we're both sitting here, feeling that we can contribute uh, to you know, to make a difference to to other people in some way, and I think we are both probably carrying uh, a little bit of a you know who are we 
to actually do this, a little bit impostery. Uh, and I think what we've just concluded together is that that can be quite helpful. I think that might inform us. And I think it also might inform our, our audience that at the end of the day, we're just a couple of blokes uh, that um, have chosen uh, to do this uh, for the good of others. And you know, there, is, there is a genuine interest in, in helping other people in both of us. And we've talked about that before. Mm. Um, but also, I think uh, that this is demonstrating our, our desire to, to learn as well. Yeah, agreed. And, and try stuff and push up, put ourselves out there. And, and I'm sure people will come back with comments over time of things they agree or disagree with. And I've read a few articles in some of the topics we've we've discussed and I have very opposed views on some people on, on commentary forums and stuff. So, Are we at the point where we ask each other questions? I think so. I think that's a, that's a good... I'm quite excited about this bit. So who's going first then? <laughs> Are you going to ask me or shall I ask you? Well, yeah, so, uh, well, I don't mind. But I suppose for the listener, they could get fed up with us just tossing it back and forth. So I'm going to ask you the question, Ant. Okay. This is my first question. Go for it. Uh, and a lot of thought has gone into this one, which is, uh, what is the most common mistake you witness leaders making, in your opinion? Whew. Um, hmm. From around the organisations that I am working in most recently, and talking to peers at forum events where we compare the world of, of leadership and learning um, would probably be the habit of, of micromanagement. Um, managing tasks and not allowing people to think for themselves. Um, and the examples I would give is that you see a lot of managers feeling completely overwhelmed because a lot of these managers these days in a in a global world that's in a fast growth they double hat they want to be a subject matter expert but they also want to be a great leader um, and they don't necessarily know how to disconnect the two um, you know if, if I was a sales leader with targets um, you know that's one thing but actually being able to inspire my people and empower them to think for themselves for their clients there seems to be this this ambition just to tell them what to do but of course then if the, the the instruction they give their people is wrong then guess what they come back to you for the another suggestion um and i also think the, the other the other bad habit is this fear of failure so they won't let go of instructing people because they aren't prepared for how they deal with someone failing on their watch um that that would be my answer to that question um, what about you as a, as a first take? Because you, you've seen the question in advance, whereas... <laughs> well, uh, I, yeah, I suppose there's a degree of self-interest in, um, in working out the question, because I know <laughs> it's going to come back to me. And so I have had an opportunity to, to give some thought to my question, which I'm quite excited about because I wrote it. But <laughs> um, I, I think... To me, the answer lies within uh, sort of business strategy and culture strategy, and the priority of, of many CEOs and leadership teams uh, that I come across is obviously um, pretty shareholder focused. Yeah, and uh, you know the, the 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 need to do that is obviously very clear, um, but to to get to the point. 
what I feel uh, is a is a missed opportunity, put it that way, of of many CEOs in organisations, and, and a common mistake is to underestimate the significance of really, really explicit values in an organisation, and. You know that that doesn't mean that we kind of go out and employ hugely expensive agencies to come up with <laughs> um, fantastic, dramatic, um, actor-based examples of the company's values, which is you know obviously quite a sort of inauthentic thing to do. Yeah. But I, my experience, and and, and I might be hugely rounded on and criticised for this. I don't know. But my experience of a lot of CEOs and leadership teams is that they completely underestimate the importance of values in an organisation. And, and to me, it's rather like the uh, idea uh, of putting a, putting a man on the moon back in 1961, I think it was, that Kennedy uh, described uh, to Joint Congress that... Uh, within a decade, they were going to put a man on the moon, and uh, to cut a nut, to, to to cut it short, they they were putting a, a rocket together to to get him there, uh, and the the values part was that they were going to get him and his team back alive, and I I, I think that assembly of of vision uh, to to get man on the moon, uh, to build a rocket. To, to, to get him there and to get him back alive. It's the, the getting him back alive part uh, that, that is, is so inspiring and, and leads to, to, to magnificent stories and pride that we, that we actually set out to do that and achieve that within a decade. And values uh, support uh, fantastic uh, leadership development uh, and coaching inside organizations and learning it is it is the kind of environment uh, that that managers need uh, the, the the airspace uh, for them to be able to have really powerful uh, conversations uh, in organizations and it's a job of work it's a very very big piece of work uh, to get values uh, inside an organization particularly one of a global scale mm. it's one hell of a challenge and you have to get uh, everybody on side uh, with that message what I uh, completely agree with you on there is that I have worked at companies where values are words on posters yeah and meeting room names but not much else they don't bleed through the business and not abiding by those values. I don't know if abiding is the right word, but there you go. Um, but they don't, they don't live or breathe them. I have worked in companies where they have lived and breathed the values and they are weaved into everything that they do. Um, and um, I think I remember one organization where meetings had to have a value associated to it. Um, and I've worked in other organizations where the recognition scheme was built around the values. Um, so I, I would agree with you there. And I think um, for some people listening that, that there could be this acknowledgement that, yes, that's my company right now. Um, you know, they don't have values or they have values, but they're just words. 
um, you know, and, and I've seen respect in many companies as a value, but I have seen in those same companies respect not being applied. Um, so it, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting viewpoint. Mm. Well, I, likewise, I've, I've had the uh, experience of, of organisations that are uh, ex- incredibly explicit uh, about their values and have uh, spent an awful lot of time uh, getting that message through uh, a number of different uh, divisions of their, of their business. And actually, it is part of uh, their manager's life, their manager's role, to make those values explicit uh, and to get it get it absolutely embedded uh, inside teams uh, and to help individuals uh, and I and I think to, to, again to, to, to sort of cut this short I think it's about how you challenge uh, behavior uh, and performance uh, using values and how you support uh, individuals and teams using values and then you know beyond you know what 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 can we do uh, to take those values uh, far and wide in the way that we we operate and how do we work with suppliers how do we work with our communities how do we work with our shareholders you know is it is it fair uh, that we exclude one part of our stakeholder uh, group uh, who don't get the values whereas others do and you know I think that that describes really the scale of the task and I've always thought about it in terms of yeah that sounds like a great business strategy but what about the cultural strategy I'm not hearing it Mm. I don't get it Uh, yeah so I I remember actually um, going to one particular client and I won't mention which one but uh, I, I was having a meeting it was the first meeting I had with them and the uh, HR person was brought into the meeting by the CEO uh, merely because uh, he'd forgotten what the values were and she couldn't remember and they had to go and bring in uh, a, uh, it was like a sort of um, great big picture, um, a framed picture. It would probably come from a loo or something, I don't know, (laughs) but it, it was their values. And I asked them questions. They had, they had no idea. It wasn't important to them. It wasn't important to them. And uh, anyway, the, his, the rest is history. But uh, that was that was one of the people I, I worked with. Am I allowed to respond with a question to your question? Yeah. Um, in in the organisations that you've worked in, then um, how have you seen a company with great values um, be more successful than one without? Well, so I can, uh, one with uh, is a company called uh, UKRD Group. And uh, at the time, uh, there was a a CEO called uh, William Rogers, uh, OB. And he uh, magnificently led uh, his team uh, around six explicit values. And that was open... Uh, honest, fair, uh, unconventional, professional and fun and those values uh, were put together by the leadership team and literally sold uh, around the business and I had the great uh, benefit of being involved in all of that and 
was able to see how challenging that was uh, those those six words how challenging they were for people when it was fully supported and fully implemented by the leadership uh, in that organization and uh, some people left uh, you know those words are very challenging mm. uh, for people you know being honest being open being fair uh, it, it actually when when you are challenged on those and you're not uh, it's actually very difficult. It eradicates bullies. Uh, it uh, eradicates um, people with uh, purely self-motivated uh, interests. Um, it, it eradicates uh, people who have uh, an incredibly strong opinion of themselves, but no one else. And so we we actually witnessed uh, in the early stages of implementing these uh, the departure of a lot of people, uh, which actually, as as a lot of HR people will know, um, you know that that's not a bad thing when you have churn no. uh, in certain in certain ways and values if if used effectively uh, to challenge and support uh, performance and behaviour. Uh, are, are remarkably effective and that company because of of those approaches and other things uh, which we might go on to talk about in another program uh, is the uh, use of uh, coaching in a in a in a in, in their environments and uh, how they how they embedded that in to support uh, those values it was almost a perfect uh, dovetail uh, in facilitating uh, learning and development in in that organisation. The the result uh, was that uh, they were first in the Sunday Times best company to work for uh, mid cap division four years in a row, which is quite something. Yeah. Um, because it had a massive massive effect on uh, retention uh, and development of highly talented uh, individuals in 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 that company very very uh, successful uh, business thank you that was a, a, an interesting um, expanded answer apologies for my uh, extra question so I, I have a question for you now oh right um, and I'm happy to answer it myself after you've answered it yeah and my question um, is as follows um, the best leader you ever worked for they can remain nameless and what made them so um well, I, I want to, uh, he wasn't my direct boss, uh, okay. but he was the CEO uh, at the time of the company that I worked for, uh, GWR Group, uh, Ralph Bernard. Hmm. Uh, I, I felt that he was a visionary. Uh, he was very dynamic. Uh, he assembled a very strong leadership team around him. I don't think that Ralph uh, really uh, thought very much about implementing a, a values-based culture into his organisation. I don't really, at the time, I don't think he really needed to because uh, he had those natural gifts uh, in, in his own right and, uh, and I think he insisted uh, that, that people were honest 
uh, and that people uh, were given a fair crack uh, at their roles. Uh, I think he, he, he believed in people's potential. Uh, he was very fair uh, to his people, incredibly so. Uh, I remember that I was put on a, a special project. Uh, I had booked a two-week holiday to Turkey, hadn't had one for a long time, uh, had a young family at the time and I just needed a bloody holiday. Oops, mm. that's going to go for the blooper, isn't it? <laughs> um, and um, so anyway, Ralph found out about that and uh, he he's called me into his office and he said, whatever that uh, holiday cost, uh, just tell me how much it was um, and, and we'll sort it out. Um, now, I don't know, maybe some people think that that's bit soppy in a in an organization but to me at that time when I was working my socks off uh, for the business uh, and uh, you know I had a young family uh, this this was a, a, a massive gesture mm. and so uh, in in terms of working inside an organization for someone that I hugely admired um, for his dynamism uh, for doing what's right for the business and doing what's right for the business uh, for the people in the business i think he was untouchable i i think he 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 was remarkable i think he did a bloody good job of balancing that and i think that's about the most impossible thing to ever do is to do what's right for the business and its people uh, when you have shareholders breathing down your neck and i think he did a damn good job of it he's um chief executive of our hall now isn't he uh, he he went on to uh, there, and I, he's gone on to other things now. I'm okay. sure he's not. I'm not sure he's part of that anymore. Okay. Uh, but he was he was absolutely critical mm. in uh, establishing the classic FM brand, um, massively important, and also the merger of GWR Group and Capital uh, Radio Group, uh, the, the formation of GCAP Media PLC which most people would now know as global. Yeah. Which is huge. Yes, it is. It is. In fact, I got my digital, I was working at, on merger day and um, I was much more junior, obviously, at the time because um, there was a bit of an age gap between us, JB, isn't there? I think you were quite senior when I joined as a Black Thunder guy um, all those years ago. Um, so to answer my own question then, because I'm getting glares now that there's clearly an oh. age difference. Yes. Um, uh, so my question um, answered... Would be I'm not going to name the, the the best leader I ever worked for because um, um, oh shouldn't I have done that with Ralph? Oh no, I don't. I'm okay. No, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, the only reason I don't want to is because I know that I might upset. You know, you, you you're a business owner now. You've got to worry about working for people again. But that is true. So that I don't. I, I'm yeah. conscious that if I don't say someone by name, then okay. then, then then that's it. I'm not going to ever get another gig. Um, so I'm not going to include my current boss because I don't think it's fair to. Um, and there is that conscious disconnect um, uh, for that reason. Um, so the person that I will say is someone that I worked for um, who, for me, um, probably really helped my career to the next level um, was um, a gentleman um, who believed in my potential when others didn't. And that's what made him, for me, um, the best leader. Um, because actually he um, didn't want to do the typical traditional ways of doing things. He liked unconventional. Um, and actually he believed in what you could bring um, to, the, to the purpose of his ambitions. 
um, and um, often in periods of massive change and uncertainty was the calm in the storm and he helped um, me understand as a, as a manager that uncertainty was okay and actually you know take this as experience um, and there was a point where I was moved away from him under another manager there was I had six managers in two years um, in this particular organization so I was only in networking him for him for six months but I ended up working with him again um, and um, I was really disappointed not only that I wasn't working for this chap anymore but I'd been moved under somebody else that had a bit of a reputation of not being a great leader and I remember calling up um, this guy which is another reason I had to remain nameless going why why have you done this to me um, and he was his his words were they still st stick with me now which was learn what not to do um, and deal with it for six months because you'll come out stronger for it um, and my phone is always on but you know and, and the business was restructuring at the time and that that was why it happened so it was no fault other than the restructuring of the business that it had happened but of course I felt it very personally because I felt genuinely inspired and wanted to deliver for this leader because he had such a personable engagement with his people he took people seriously to your point he understood the needs of the business but he understood the, the needs of bringing people with him on that journey and making them feel part of the decision making which I hadn't always felt before my opinions weren't always trusted perhaps whereas he trusted my opinions um, and and not dissimilar actually whenever I was traveling internationally it was well make sure you if you're staying over the weekend you 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 know you, you go and see some things and, and make sure you expense it because you know you're sacrificing a lot um, and 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 so he for me was was a great leader um, and um, is still very much an active good leader um, uh, and I also liked him because he told you how it was um, and interestingly I'm not always a fan of direct feedback if I don't think it has context and evidence um, but he was always very good at giving you pretty clear and sometimes tough feedback but he did it in a way that you respected and he and he was trusted by me that his intent was there um, which maybe feeds into a part of our conversation later. There's, there's some commonality, uh, I think, in, in uh, both of those um, answers, actually, which is, which is that, and I, I'm not going to kind of use loads of content in this, but, you know, if you, if you use that, the, the kind of filter of, of know me, focus me, value me, uh, I, 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 from what you were just saying, I, it seems to me that that boss knew you, he focused you, and he valued you. You know who I'm on about, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and I, I felt the same about Ralph. And, you know, this was a man uh, who, you know, was, um, you know, building a, a, a pretty big company out of, out of a couple of radio stations originally. In fact, just one. Um, and you know to be to be part of that and that dynamism and the energy that he had to make that happen and and yet despite all of that he had time uh, to, to know people like me uh, to, to know us to focus us and to value us mm. and I might hopefully that thing that I described uh, yeah. was was a it made me feel so valued but there were so many other things that that you would get uh, that that wanted you to to actually re repay that um, so much more 
and I, I think it's kind of interesting. And it actually leads me quite neatly oh. onto my question. Um, <laughs> okay. It's all about me. Uh, and, and that is, uh, how, how good are you at living with failure? Whew. So if I take the question on face value, I think in many organisations right now, and I could be shot down in flames by, by this in, in commentary that might come from it, that striving for perfection is of course the, the end goal, but if your organisation is in a state of flux, uncertainty, change, chaos, the world is changing far faster than I've ever seen it. My current organisation, you know, there's significant change to when I joined it three years ago. And I've learned um, that failure is okay so long as you've tried it. Um, I was having a conversation just yesterday actually with an executive committee member um, over a beer um, and, um, and he has said he would rather take the decisions than sit in a state of uncertainty or confusion because you feel um, paralyzed to make a decision. So for me, um, failure is okay um, so long as you learn from it. Um, and actually striving for perfection, I think I've seen a few people um, in the last decade that I've worked with that have actually felt a sense of huge failure themselves because it's not perfect. So if you don't have a degree of tolerance to failure, um, I, I suggest that that it it, it y you will end up you know um, having a nervous breakdown, um, uh, and uh, and I know that's that probably sounds quite controversial, especially for our first episode with no listeners, <laughs> but hey ho, I've said it now. Um, this could this could be our biggest failure yeah I thought, there we go and and, and, and th but this is a risk isn't it you know we, we we sit here now talking to a microphone without having a single download of any podcast we've ever done before but we'll learn yeah um so failure is fine for me um uh, but repeated failure with the same thing without changing anything is not fine and i don't know if that was the question you're asking if i've given you the answer that you're expecting or not but and maybe I'll find out by asking you the same question. All right, I, I, I think it's a tremendous uh, answer. It's, it's more than I had hoped for, actually. Oh. Um, <laughs> and I mean that in, a, in the nicest possible way. And I, well, I, I think I used to be a complete failure at failure. Uh, I was never very good at failing. And I don't know, as I get older, um, I, I'm, I'm getting really good at failing. And I do think that I've got uh, quite a high will and, and high skill at failure. And I know that sounds a bit weird, but uh, I, doing this kind of stuff, for example, mm. uh, I'd, I'd, I probably would have resisted this and uh, because because I'd, I'd, the fear of failure would be so high. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, <Maybe right. laughs> but now, I don't know, I'm a bit more relaxed. I'd have a better relationship with failure. Uh, I don't see failure as a as a crisis uh, for me, and that's going to ruin my credibility for for life. And but I do remember as a younger younger person uh, being completely fraught with failure uh, fears, 
Um, and I used, to, I used to have this thing about credibility, and I used to go on and on to my wife about uh, my credibility. God knows um, kind of how that kind of survived so long. But um, I, I think it was because I was trying too hard and I, I had a big, big fear of failure. But I, I guess I've kind of, in the, in the work that I do, the, the work that I do and the, and the reason why I do the thing I do, I think um, is, is actually addressing that in me and in others. And I think I started that journey uh, a long time ago. And so I think I'm, an, I'm quite an accomplished failure now. <laughs> now I'm reflecting upon your question a bit further. Um, it, it's amusing. And, and if any of my team are listening to this podcast, which there may well be, oh I have said in the last 12 months, as, a, you know, as part of my visionary thing, you know that we don't do failure in this team. Um, as in, if we're faced with adversity, we will soldier on. Um, and now you've said that, um, I worry that people might think that failure isn't an, isn't an option. And so therefore, any of my guys listening, it's, it's okay if we do mess up occasionally. But, but actually, um, an app that, that I developed, um, which was proving hugely successful, actually failed. But that was the biggest opportunity, as it turns out, that I'd ever had. Um, we did a, um, it was a safety app um, for taxi passengers. So it allowed you to check the license validity of a vehicle you're about to get into. It would capture your location. It would email, back in the day, up to three loved ones of your choice when you signed up, a copy of the check, the time, the date, to say, this is the vehicle and Jonathan is safe. Or the vehicle is valid and, and, and here was their location at this time. Um, and it got a massive amount of media attention. I had a very, very successful communications partner um, who will always remain nameless because he chooses to be, but he um, was for me a, a huge asset that got us the success and the traction and the media coverage. Um, and Mr. Johnson sending me shitty letters. There you go, that goes in the bloopers. Um, but the truth was that um, the app was flawed um, in that um, we were only as good as the data supplied by the public bodies that own the data. And this was back before perhaps um, quality of data was so scrutinised and actually there wasn't a Freedom of, Inf sorry, Freedom of Information Act existed, but there, there wasn't a digital commitment to Freedom of Information. So it meant that uh, certain councils, where so in the UK where the app was launched, um, the... Um, this is probably a way off piece to leadership podcast, but there we go. Um, the the um, each local council owned their own licensing data, so you had to go to three hundred and eighty-two, I think it was, local authorities to get their data. Some of them that knew their integrity of data was not particularly good, put up deliberate barriers to as accessing their data because they realised they'd be called out. Um, so we ended up doing freedom of information requests on the ones that refused and we collated that data but then we had to get in our app a disclaimer saying this is accurate as of this date because we started getting calls from taxi drivers who were saying your app's telling my passengers that I'm not licensed and I am and I can prove it but of course we could only take the word of the licensing authority not the driver and um, it caused us huge anxiety 
because on the flip side, we were in talks with a safety charity who were way behind this as a as a way to improve safety of passengers with sexual assaults in London, for example, being um, in the dozens each month from unlicensed drivers. So the taxi trade um, and the private licensed uh, private hire licensed trade were behind this being a success because they had nothing to hide. They were regulated. I mean, there was various debates between taxi and private hire, but I won't go there. But the biggest challenge we had was actually the credibility of the data to the point that we then got this debate in Parliament about the integrity of data. Um, and that's what culminated in, in various pushback to say, well, actually, why don't you stop the app and instead just have a tracking app where if someone puts in the licensed vehicle, it doesn't confirm whether it's licensed or not. It simply captures it um, and, and sends it to the loved ones. And that's that. Um, but actually the safety charity then backed away saying, well, actually that could encourage people to get into unlicensed vehicles because they'll just tell the, the driver we attract and so on. Um, but it had huge success in identifying unlicensed drivers, which we successfully did. And we involved um, law enforcement with that. Um, we had huge numbers of downloads, huge amount of press coverage, but ultimately it failed. And we were lucky we exited when we did. We didn't have, you know, debt. We, we, we shut things down and um, and the, the software we, was sold. But um, for me at the time, um, I'd gone from this vision of being a global organisation. Um, I never had aspirations to be some Mark Zuckerberg, but uh, making a difference to the world. And that for me was really tough to deal with that failure because I jacked in my safe job with a brand new baby. <laughs> to go and set this up and my, my now wife thought I was bonkers um, but she supported me unconditionally of course and we ended up you know but off the back of it that failure has come the success because now I talk to businesses about understanding P&L and understanding failure is okay um, and as a leader sometimes you have to accept failure is sometimes the best thing you can that's the best decision you can take it's accepting it's not working and move on um, and that was a lesson that, that still bothers me, um, but it's also been the biggest asset in my learning as a leader. Perhaps your most successful failure. Yeah, because I wouldn't be here now, because actually what probably holds me ahead and shoulders by other people is real life experience, um, which you could argue some people that work exclusively in leadership education that have never actually led organisations that have been successful and failed um, have that experience they can bring and you know I had to make people redundant I had to hire people I had to fire people um, I had to be shitty with um, public bodies I had to deal with you know and it was it was the most enjoyable experience but the most petrifying experience because when you're at the top so you know there are people listening to this and the only people they have um, that they report to are their investors <laughs> a private equity firm their bank with an overdraft if they're a small business owner and it is really lonely. And actually, one of the things I said to one of my senior execs recently was, I'm not sure I want your job because it's so lonely. No one tells you you're doing a good job. They only tell you what's crap. And that is, um, you know, and that for them is a constant being told you're a failure. And I think that's the higher you go, there isn't the well done. I mean, you've got your figures and there are some senior figures that can be happy to ride on their numbers. But being constantly scrutinised um, is something that is, isn't for the faint-hearted. Um, hence why I have no hair left. I feel that we did, we did, we've almost gone round in a, in a complete loop. 
Mm. And the reason I feel that is because, you know, we started off having that conversation about imposter syndrome. Mm. And if, if you get a room full of execs and managers, and it's, it's almost like planting a, bl- a bomb in the middle of a room, uh, you, you just throw the failure word out there. And, you know, they want to run for the hills. You know, it's quite a, it's, it's a scary word, failure. You know, whether you look at it from a, a business perspective or a people perspective, failure freaks people out. Mm. And so, you know, when you're in that role uh, and you're, you're, you're trying to manage a, a bunch of people and, and the business as well, all the, the KPIs and, and all of the conversations that you need to have uh, with your people and you're, and you're feeling out of your depth you know you're feeling that this this is this is this is a really kind of tricky time for me uh, from my own experience one of the words that comes up so often is the failure word and you know people people get really really anxious about it and mm. so I, I, I think that we can't deal with all of this in one podcast. We'd be here for a week. <laughs> We're at an hour and ten already. Oh my goodness. Well, I, that's I, fine. I guess this is a bumper yeah. launch edition. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it's, it's really thinking about uh, the, the, the frequency, the quality and the impact of everyday conversations that people have. Uh, in organisations that allow people uh, some containment uh, for the natural fear of failure that exists and to reduce that anxiety, to to reduce that fear Hmm. uh, of failure and to to make it boundaried, to make it safe Uh, and I work with a fabulous CEO who used to talk about uh, air cover and I really like that term air cover for people who just need that space you know they need that psychological safety uh, to be able to explore explore uh, you know risk and doing doing the (coughs) difficult things um, and, and innovating rather than evaporating in a, in a team or an organization and you know that that's risky stuff and and I think there is a there is a failure uh, in organizations to create the safety uh, for appropriate failure mm-hmm. sensible failure failure that uh, is is worth taking a risk at and but but helping people uh, to deal with that you know, you you need you need to have that psychological safety, uh, and I I I I'm an old git now. So for me, uh, well, not that old, but I I I've experienced a good dose of failure in my life. Mm. Um, but but for the listener, just so you know, I've also also dealt with quite a lot of success, uh, <laughs> just for balance. Um, and I don't know as I as I as I fail more, I feel more successful in my life and I, I, I you know what's the, what's the kind of secret ingredient uh, that we need to share to help people 
to feel more confident about failure? I think it's, um, from, from my side, it's a comfort around uncertainty. I mean, you and I speak about yeah. off-microphone this a lot, but yeah. um, I often, as you know, I use this metaphor of I'm like a moth that flies towards the candle of uncertainty because actually I think the biggest success I've had has been in a state of chaos rather than a structured organisation. Um, and I'm not saying my current employer is not a structured organisation, but at the same time, um, I would rather go into a company that's looking to transform as opposed to a company company that's seen at the peak of its game when the only way is down um, you know so that isn't an, a, a, an adversity to failure but I think that um, I want to help companies and people I work with recover um, but hey I'm not sure where I'm going with that point but there you go well so um, th th there's a there's a lot of discomfort inside teams and organizations around uncertainty and uh, so how do, how do you help people uh, to get comfortable uh, with uncomfortable uh, you know comfort from discomfort and um, th there are you know many um, fantastic books on the subject of uh, uncertainty uh, which we won't go into here but the I think that the, the the learning for me uh, in in working with with organisations through a lot of uncertainty over recent years is that if you if you keep uh, helping your people into uncertainty, supporting them into uncertainty, and encouraging them that that it is normal, rather than it's coming, hmm. no, it's here, and actually we can get on top of this. We can be better at it than others I, I think that's quite a rallying call I think it's quite a motivational tool, uh, talk uh, to to make it our competitive advantage that we are the team uh, that, that faces this and that we keep practicing uh, you know the way that we work the way that we uh, come together around our, our plans and, and what we want to achieve how we participate in that and the processes that we use uh, and the timescales that we work with every time we go into our, our modus operandi every time we do this and we, we keep ourselves safe uh, we, we, we help people through um, you know their their failures uh, because we trust them you know we trust their intent we know they're doing the right stuff but but they haven't quite got it this time but they damn well might get it on the next time uh, because they're learning and uh, I, like you, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but uh, I, I think I think failure could be uh, a very interesting podcast uh, for the future, and mm. and actually get out some of the uh, the, the the reading on it. There's some fantastic material um, which um, which we could bring out at a, another another point. Okay, well, so I, I, this this isn't necessarily as as smooth a segue. So this is not an automatic gear change. This is a bit of a clunky gear change with a clutch, but it is linked to my first question. Okay, um, what um, what did you take from Ralph in your case um, as an experience as a direct report of that you've aspired to transmit <laughs> or adopt in your leadership operating manual? for people that are subsequently reported into you? Um, I, 
I think it is the balance. I think I think it's uh, it's it's a philosophy, uh, and I don't know whether Ralph would claim that as his philosophy, but it's one that I took from him, uh, and that is to always do what's right for the business, and always do what's right for the people, and work your socks off uh, to get that right, uh, because if you tilt it one way or the other, you're screwed. Nice. So my uh, old boss, um, I guess there's a couple of things. One is that despite what the organisation throws at you, that those people would work for you again. And some of the things I do is actually, as what I'm about to do, going to cause harm to that potential in the future. So I guess when I know that there are challenges that I'm being faced with, how do I help my people stay calm and carry on? Um, is is probably the the first thing. Secondly, it's believing in people's potential um, and taking a chance on people sometimes, despite the fact that on textbook they may not be the right person initially. Um, and hope and look, I have again, I've made some wrong decisions with hiring people that I thought deserved a chance, and it hasn't worked out for them. But on the other hand, there have been other people that I have taken a chance on, and I know that they are fiercely loyal because of the chance they were given in the same way that I was given chances by people in the past. And incidentally, when I worked in radio, um, you know, a guy who I can name, um, um, Gareth um, Evans, he's a, actually works, he's one of the few that's kept, been kept from the cuts. Um, he believed in me um, and he, he, I wanted to get on Black Thunders and he liked me and my ambition and uh, was uh, was acting PC after the uh, previous PC had emigrated, I think, back to Ireland or something, um, and said, "Here you go, here's the keys for the Vauxhall Frontera, off you go." And and um, and ironically, I caught up with him a few months ago, and and he said, um, "I often regret not giving you more chances." Um, and I said, "No, you gave me the best chance you ever did." Um, and actually, funny enough, I do think that what I learned in radio as an industry is so important in virtual communications now. As a leader, and we'll come on to this again in a separate podcast, I think, leading virtual teams, you have to become a very competent radio broadcaster, really. Yeah. Because you yeah. want your listeners, as in your direct reports, to um, you know take on board what you're saying and what do they need to do as a result of listening to it. That's you know very not dissimilar to a radio ad, I could argue. And your vision has to be campaigned in the same way that a radio campaign needs to do to get the listeners to understand. So for me, I never ever uh, thought any less of Gareth because he didn't give me more chances. Um, actually, quite the opposite because he believed in me. So I think from my perspective, I have hopefully. Um, taken chances on some of my people that now are in senior positions working for me right now and in the past um, and haven't always been on paper the right person for the job but and I often never recruit with a CV which the head of recruitment that I work with probably be going oh my goodness or maybe not I don't know um, but it's it's believing in someone's what they can bring big picture not just and don't get me wrong there are certain roles they need technical competencies but in some of my roles they have to have to um, be a right fit, and I would rather take a chance on somebody's potential than their their experience. But I'm not saying that 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 means that people with experience should not be interested in working for me in the future. I wonder if Gareth and Ralph will ever listen to this podcast. Well, there you go. Let's let's that tweet be, at them. That could be that could be scary. And I do, the, my other question is: When you met with Gareth, um, were you wearing the 
uh, Black Thunder lycras that um, <laughs> I think was part of the part of the kit that you had to wear in those days. In my loft, or as the Americans, if they're listening, called attic, um, I have a box of old radio memorabilia. I have a B ninety seven Chilton FM watch, you are which so was Chilton FM at some point. I have a Q one hundred three flare fleece. Oh my god! Um, I have a KLFM jacket that I was given as well in various parts of my career. I have a Century one hundred six body warmer and a Century one hundred six football. Because um, they had, they were. That's now smooth, smooth East Midlands, actually, where Gareth is now, ironically. Um, so I, I didn't, but um, uh, we we're still friends, and actually, you know, I'm very proud of a lot of my friends in radio that have had a lot of adversity in their industry, having to completely revolutionise how they deliver content and revenue to their shareholders, and not all of them are necessarily revenue generators, but they're part of the product, so. How many of our listeners, I wonder, uh, from previous careers, have have boxes in their attics with memorabilia <laughs> in the way that you describe? Because I too, and, uh, and and it may sound sad to our listener, um, because I think I'm imagining only one at this stage. <laughs> um, they will they will be thinking these guys are actually quite quite sort of sad about their um, <laughs> memorabilia. I, I actually have a box and in it is a whole load of stickers and pictures of me in front of the roadshow. And um, also I know that I've got one of those really old videos uh, of me in the flying eye, uh, which, was a, which was a helicopter smaller than me in fact and uh, I, I used to get in this thing for the listeners benefit height not width just <laughs> thank in you, case thank they're you. Um, and uh, anyway there's the video of me flying off in this extremely small helicopter uh, doing the odd traffic and travel report uh, <laughs> over the M4 and the M32 and uh, to be honest I don't, I don't think it was uh, my greatest hour uh, doing the traffic and traffic <coughs> report, uh, mainly because in in the helicopter, I was shitting myself. It was the scariest thing I have ever ever done in my life being in that helicopter. Uh, but uh, it was it was another one of those moments where I just had to I had to do it. I yeah. had to do it and overcome that fear. But uh, do you keep business cards for the places you worked at? Of course, I've got a drawer full of my old business cards yeah. from different things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but there we go. Um, so um, we've done our questions now, haven't we? I think. Well, certainly time would suggest we have. If not, then we are going for a. Well, we're, this is our record length podcast. I, w- I wonder whether we would actually have any listeners by now. I, I'm, I'm whether we have the one that I've got in my mind who might well be listening to this, or is that one of your daughters? Uh, well, I'm thinking of my wife actually, right. but um, she is my greatest fan. Well, she was when I left the UK a few days ago. She might have changed her mind since. Uh, anyway, so wh- where are we on the agenda, Rand? Um, where have we got to? Well, on on the agenda, time wise, we finished twenty minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh dear! Um, but time management is is not going well for us in this podcast. Ant. No. So we we have um, trust and its importance of leadership in high performing teams. Oh my goodness! Um, which is kind of the the I guess our keynote theme of this podcast. But I sense that we now have <laughs> we've got two minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what can you rattle off in thirty <laughs> seconds? Um, and then, of course, don't forget we have our listeners' questions. Oh my! To go through, um, and maybe we skip the up 
upcoming podcast because I sense we've probably done that throughout our conversation yeah. tonight. And it is now dark outside and it is late in the evening in Singapore. Um, so hopefully we'll still get some food from the bar when we go down afterwards. Anyway. Well, so, um, if you're thinking about uh, trust, trust in teams, I'm going to throw up a... a no- Oh God! Really? Oh, so, I know you're facing me, but <laughs> I'm going to throw out a, f- a, a few um, a few statistics in in the fact that we haven't got much time. Can uh, I go pee pee while you do this? Is that all right? I'll, I'll close the door. You're you're kidding. No, what no. if the technology fails? No, it I've got to deal out. with the failure if it happens. I'll I'll get on with it. Anyway, so Ant has now left the room, and uh, I just wanted to just throw a few statistics around, a few thoughts. So in 2016, the uh, Chartered Management Institute Trust Survey uh, did a did a did a survey about trust. Funnily enough, and only 36 percent of middle managers trust their business leader to a great extent. Only 36 percent of middle managers trust their business leader to a great extent. That's shocking, I think. One of the top retention drivers reported by employees was trust in senior leadership. That was from a Towers Watson Global Workforce Study in 2014. So one of the top retention drivers. Um, a lot of organisations that I work for at the moment um, have had difficulties uh, around retention. And now building building trust in in their leadership teams, uh, and cascading that through uh, the organisation um, is seen as critical. Uh, Ant has now uh, rejoined the meeting. I hope you didn't hear the uh, the flush. Uh, here's another statistic: only 62% of employees reported being satisfied with trust between themselves and senior management uh, in an SHRM. Uh, study in 2015, the Employee Job Satisfaction Engagement Report. So, uh, where am I going with this? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing in in organisations uh, just how important uh, trust is, and I would argue that really doing the work on building a high trust team. Is a is is one of those priorities within the, the sort of cultural strategy right now building building organisations with with high levels of trust uh, going on. I I think there has been a deficit uh, in recent years. Uh, I think there has been uh, a race uh, for other things mm. uh, rather than establishing high high trust uh, teams in organisations. And, and seriously investing in that. And on that point, I, I do feel incredibly lucky to have worked with uh, enlightened organisations, um, particularly of late actually, uh, who get this uh, and that they are understanding that this is, this is an area that they, that they need to invest in and that there is a, a there is there is an enlightened view for the business and the individuals within it uh, when you work on trust because high trust teams equals high performance teams and there's there's quite a lot of 
stuff coming through that we don't have time for now uh, through neuroscience um, and through these kinds of surveys, a snapshot that I gave earlier, there's lots more, but I won't do it now, uh, where, where the components of trust uh, in a team uh, actually really develop high performance. And the focus is on the relationships within the team, not necessarily the specialisms of the individuals within it. Right. And I, th there, is, there is research, which I won't again go into now, but maybe for another podcast, uh, that demonstrates perfectly uh, the case that actually getting, getting the team glued together with, with, with very, very strong trust uh, ends up being a more highly effective team uh, than a team that is made up of specialists in their field. So you can have a team where people aren't as uh, aligned aligned and skilled up, but actually they're more effective because they work together. Uh, and I, I think Google have done quite a big amount of research uh, on this, and I think it was quite a surprise for them because I... You know, they, they would want to employ an awful lot of technical, um, highly skilled individuals. Uh, but I think the learning from um, research that they've done, and again, we could we could bring that up in the future, is that uh, the focus is on the makeup of the team around trust. High trust teams equals high performance teams. And so that that was that's an area that I think that, that I think we should really have a have a big old dive around and see what see what our our listener thinks about that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, JB, that when we run leadership conferences, we, we normally set some values at the beginning of our conferences up. Um, we see what the participants want to put on there. And these are typically the values that will exist for our, for our conference. And one that generally does come up, and if it doesn't, me or you stick it on, is trust. Um, and, I, and it's interesting, and I'm sure in the ears of the listener trust immediately conjures up different meaning depending on who's listening and how they interpret it and I often joke that you know I trust my dad with his advice and his guidance um, but I do not trust my dad to look after my children without accidentally killing them because he doesn't know what he's doing so you know I don't trust his competence with my kids but <laughs> I, I trust his um, his um, his experience in other areas and yeah. I and I trust his intentions are always good where I'm concerned um, and uh, for for me, I would wholeheartedly agree with you. I think that I I think I hope um, that I have a high trust team um, with the team I lead at the minute, and I think that I work as part of a team that feel that we trust each other's. Um, we we aren't siloed, as you say. There is there are specialisms in in the teams that I work with, but there is an absolute understanding of the importance of 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 trusting each other, trusting each other's competencies trusting each other's um, um, intentions are always good um, and, and I think that that, that exists um, and, and, and I would argue that I'm probably working with one of the strongest teams that I've ever had the privilege to do certainly in the organisations which we're currently um, running um, Interesting to think about um, recruitment companies and um, you know particularly recruitment companies that recruit for you know highly uh, skilled uh, highly technical uh, organizations um, you know maybe legal companies accountancy companies or whatever 
you know, when when someone has been brought in to come into a team as a head of IT or, or something, uh, you know, are they are they recruiting that? Uh, is their focus to recruit the specialist IT person, or are they focused on uh, the fit where this person has sufficient knowledge mm. and learning scope uh, to to pick up speed? Uh, and to and to get it and to get there over time, but actually their ability to get on with uh, the other team members and to be a good fit uh, with good values and emotional intelligence and so on. I just I I often wonder how come so many organisations keep making the same mistake if we know if we believe mm. uh, that you know a, a high trust team. Uh, is is more important than a highly technical team. It's it's interesting you say that, uh, um, and I won't name the gentleman that's in mind now. But off mic, I will tell you the person in question. We were having a conversation that he is the final interview, but he typically knows that the competencies have been tested in interviews one, two, and three by the people that report into him to ensure that technically they're capable to do the job. When they get to him, he doesn't look at the CV. He wants to, to your point, get beneath the skin and understand who they are as a human being, and how they would fit, and actually, you know, their 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 intentions and their ambitions and their emotional connection to to others, and how they want to work as a team. And and his decision is typically based on that and that alone. He's not, you know, and he, he I think he even openly says in these interviews, you know, clearly by being at this stage, this is not about your your capabilities in X, Y, and Z. It's actually for me about where you're going to sit um, and how much of a team player you're going to be, um, and and that works for him. And he has fiercely loyal direct reports. Um, That's um, fantastic. And they are remotely located in 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 a region around the world. Um, but it, but but you're right. It's, Let's get him in one of our podcasts. He, he may be up for it, but then maybe I've well we'll have to pretend that he. I never said that, of course. When we no no, we don't want to have any more egos in the room. No, oh goodness, no. Dis- no crazy as it is exactly I mean we're not going to get out of this 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 hotel room at this rate because of our heads being so big um but but there you go but he's he's an example of somebody that that I think he recognizes the importance of trusting the individual as a human not just in their technical capabilities and incidentally one other thing which I've just thought about um we did some research in a not my current organization a previous organization at the qual- the technical qualifications versus the role they're doing and less than 15% of our employees that were graduates had the technical qualifications in the subject area that they were currently residing in but they had, but they you know as a company they were doing extremely well but there was this obsession about technical qualifications being the sole measure of someone's capability what they then realized was what's the point in having insisting on graduate recruitment when actually the majority of these people hadn't got any qualification even remotely relevant you know they were going to be I'm not suggesting they were going to do brain surgery and they were trained in in I don't know media studies but they, they, it, it you know certainly they were um, people that perhaps had economics degrees or working in IT um, for example and whilst I respect from a learning standpoint that having a technical discipline can be seen as an advantage it shouldn't be the sole selection process um, but but to your point you know I've seen so many managers hired because they are technically very capable, but they're abysmal 
when it comes to managing people, but actually... And then fired. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're fired for their, their communication, their collaboration, their leadership skills. And what is more worrying is some companies will tolerate their behaviours over their technical capabilities because they think that that's the right thing to do. And I think that some of the biggest decisions a company has to take sometimes is the conscious decision of we're removing this technical expert who is hugely important to us because the damage they're doing to the, the attrition uh, and the engagement of people because of the trust that's eroded that we're allowing this person to exist in our company is damaging the rest of the organization's culture. Um, so it, it's, it's a, as you say, it's a huge topic. I think it's at that root uh, between doing what's right for the business and doing what's right for the people. So we're going to recruit people who are technically skilled to do the job required. Uh, but in terms of uh, you know doing what's right for the people, uh, we we put these people into to managing teams or being part of teams, and we end up with a complete disconnect, and the people suffer, and people leave because the managers crap, um, <laughs> but technically they're brilliant, but but actually in terms of uh, you know retaining high quality people in their team, not happening, uh, reducing engagement uh, for the business and the, and the team, not happening, um, working on you know, creative uh, breakthroughs uh, in an organization, it's not happening because these people will not support that because they're focused on their own um, technical skills and abilities. And that, would necessarily, I think it would have an impact on on performance, because where's the trust? Mm. How can how can these people build trust in an organisation, in a team, um, when they lack all the skills necessary to build a team, to retain a team, to to construct a team, to hold a team together? Uh, they're not going to do it. So, therefore. You know the, the 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 senior leadership team and the CEO. If underneath them, they have a whole load of capability built into the technical resource to do what's right for the business. Have they noticed that the frequency, quality, and impact of the conversations happening in in the in the people world, it's it's a fail. Mm. It's not happening. It's not working. You've got a major problem. Uh, and I think that's a very interesting kind of dimension of where we've got to in organisations these days and an area that I think we will probably return to yeah. uh, when we have more time. Yes, yes. Should we get on to some of our listeners' questions? Lovely, in the lovely jubbly. We're at that point. Yes. Um, so um, for those of you that are listening to this for the first time that haven't had an opportunity to ask a question... Um, I, I, I'm guessing because we are we haven't done this before. Um, I'm guessing most weeks we will probably stick a any questions for our podcast this week. Or of course you can um, tweet at us, um, or um, you can send us a message through LinkedIn or any other social media um, that we happen to be on, which isn't many places yet. Um, send your questions through there, and we will attempt to answer as many as we can. Um, in the meantime, we have been asking offices in which we've been visiting, and this week we're in Singapore, to submit their questions. Next week we're in London, um, and the week after that we are in Hungary, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, you know... Budapest, we... to be specific. Yes. So, um, I'm going to have to judge the handwriting here. So... 
Um, what is and I'll, I'll, you go first, Jamie, on this one? Um, okay. What is the ideal leadership? Sorry, what is okay? What is the ideal leadership model, and what should they look like? And how, if oh my goodness, I'm trying to read this. Right, let's try again. What is the ideal leadership? What should they look like, and how should it bring impact to an organisation in the short term and the long term? Oh my goodness. That's an episode in itself. Did they it? all put that on a small post-it note? Yeah, look at that. No, we're under. It's difficult to read. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I will. I will have an attempt. There's no name on it, so whoever asked okay. it, this one's for you. Okay. You didn't write it, did you? No. no. That's not my my handwriting's not that good, but it, it's not that it's not great either. Okay. Well, I'm 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 just gonna I'm gonna have a crack at it, and I know we ha- I haven't got a great deal of time, but uh, I I think it it is a, it's about a triple focus. And that triple focus is uh, how you you lead, how you manage, and how you coach uh, inside an organization. Uh, Let's just break that down very briefly. Uh, The leader role uh, is to create the compelling vision uh, to inspire their people uh, in the form of a meaningful campaign. Uh, That is the leader role uh, to do that. Uh, there's all sorts of things that need to happen in terms of trust, but that is the function: uh, is to is to create that compelling vision uh, and to to explain it in terms of what it is, how it is different to the current reality, uh, and and what is that future vision, what is that future opportunity. What I find is that most people um, in organisations who who kind of don't do the next bit don't don't get traction on people communicating vision throughout organizations and it is that they fail to make it inspiring so our radio background tells us uh, you know about uh, reducing things down into words mm. preferably one two or three words uh, that, that are then sewn into people's minds um, and and actually leaders could, would do quite well actually to sit in front of a mic uh, like we're doing yeah. a narrow focus down into a word or two so vision inspiration campaign uh, the, the coach area really is about a focus around people's uh, potential uh, around performance and the interferences that get in the way of what that looks like uh, for the individuals and teams uh, within the organization so in a nutshell I'm going to call that coach uh, I think one could call it facilitator mentor um, but I, I, it's that kind of facilitating approach uh, to help people achieve their potential. And then the day job, you know, the day job is the manager. And, and you know, that is about achieving objectives, uh, being really, really clear, crystal clear about those objectives, dividing those into tasks and being absolutely outcome focused uh, and doing what's right for the business. And right in the centre of all of those different approaches of leader, manager, coach, we've got building a high trust team because you can't do any of those uh, without high trust, incompetence, integrity, uh, and intent uh, being those three kind of areas around trust. Those are important attributes, whether we're talking about strategic leadership or situational leadership, short-term leadership, long-term leadership, whatever leadership you want, uh, if the leader doesn't have the capabilities, uh, the triple focus, uh, I think they're a bit screwed. Well, you've not left me lo- much left to kind of. Oh, sorry, that, really. that's fine. Sorry, um, I, I, so you, I, you have a, you have a, you go on the next one. 
Oh, all right. Yeah. So, so just to, 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 I guess, to add to what you just said, I, I think one of the, the things that an ideal leadership structure should look like is actually a top to bottom campaign. I think you've made a real huge, important point there that they have a vision, it's inspiring, they campaign it. But what I've seen time and time again where leadership fails in the more long term is that vision from the top being cascaded down effectively to people on the ground. What, how, how do I fit in? What is my why in mm. this big picture? Um, and I Your think, vision of the vision. Absolutely. And, and some, some organisations I would hear going, no, 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 we don't want any blurring of the vision. But actually a, a global vision for a global organisation or in fact a, you know, an organisation of any shape or sort, that their vision may mean something to the top half of the organisation. But when I talk to people in many offices that I've been in over the last five, ten years, what it actually, what does it mean to me? I am the the data entry clerk that's in my first job out of college. What what does the vision mean to me? And I don't think that first line managers think that they have a role to play in leading those people, and they do. And I think that um, uh, the, the long term leadership part to your question is ensuring that every level of management understands the role they play in that vision and campaign in the vision, to, to your point, in a consumable way that's relevant to the recipient receiving it. What is my why as a data entry clerk versus what is my why as a financial director versus what is my why as a sales individual and every other area of the business? Well, that would be the only thing I'd, I'd add to your very, very um, complete answer. Can I, can I add a tiny little tale to your tale? Oh, Go for it, and and that is uh, you you made you made me think there, Ant, about uh, VAC, VAK, and so you've got loads of people in in an organisation. Um, you know, some are brilliant uh, storytellers, mm. and you know, some are you know quite kind of touchy feely. Some are brilliant at uh, explaining stories via pictures and creating pictures in people's minds. And then, as you, you triggered me there when you were talking about the recipient. So, you know, some people uh, really kind of get the, the, the audio uh, kind of message. You know, they learn from that, mm. and, and are hopefully our listener will, uh, from our broadcast. Uh, others are going to be able to receive different types of messages. So in an organization, you know, we need to be able to communicate messages in so many different formats, in so many different ways, and to build a capability in an, in an organization to be able to distribute uh, those key messages. And if, if they are uh, you know, different, slightly different through, through the, the organization, get over it. It doesn't really matter. It really bloody doesn't. It's actually more about the vision of the vision through through the company. Don't get paranoid about it. The more the more you communicate, the the more likely you're going to get change. Don't don't be frightened of communication. Let it go. Loose tight. Um, so you said you want me to go first on the next question. So I'm definitely reading this one out because you can have the first go on I'm, that one. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to have a rest now. So, so, I'm exhausted so the, the question's coming to you. Uh, so I want to skip this one for me because yeah. I've, I've got to answer it first. Okay. But I'm not going to. Um, is it okay for leaders to express their emotions, e.g., e frustration or cry, 
in front of their subordinates. So I won't be answering that question <laughs> first. I'll let you go for that one first, although I have an opinion. Oh, heck. Um, but thanks. So you get thinking on that one. Um, and that, again, has remained nameless. How ironic. Um, uh, so um, do you think leadership, mentoring or coaching can be nurtured or more of a um, innate ability of an individual? E.g., is there such a thing as a natural-born leader? Um, I think there are people that are natural-born leaders, um, in answer to this another anonymous question with a smiley face in it, whoever you may be. Um, but those behaviours can also be learned with the right level of support. Um, so I know that there are people that um, at school I always thought you are, a, you know, you're a natural leader, you're a magnet towards people, they come on a journey with you. You help them all, you know, that we're all one, but, you know, there are a natural figurehead of that group of people. But there are other people that I know that have gone on um, who perhaps weren't the natural leader at school, who have been incredibly capable leaders because they've perhaps been inspired by someone that led them. Um, I would argue, going back to your original point earlier of this constant questioning of your own capability, that... Um, a leader or a person that has ambition to become a leader um, is open-minded enough to seek out ways to improve their leadership capabilities. Um, so for me, oh, the screen's just locked because we've been going so long. Let me just unlock it again. For me, there is such a thing as a natural-born leader, but there is also some very credible and capable people that weren't necessarily natural-born leaders at the beginning. They can be nurtured. Um, various programs are available at a small cost for JB. Um, there you go. There's your advert. Um, but um, that was and this is. Yeah, um, and this one's for the truckers out there. Anyway, um, so so I do think it can be it can be taught, it can be nurtured, um, and I'm sure there are a number of people listening to this and might be listening to this podcast for that exact reason. Reason I feel I am not adequate as a leader. How can I go further to become a more natural but I, I do think that one thing that makes you very credible as a leader is authenticity so I have met leaders who lack authenticity because they are trying to be something that they're not they put on what they believe is what a leader should look like and in reality if they acted more themselves and used some competencies around leadership management and coaching I would suspect that actually their personality would shine through that anyway um, and I have heard some very inauthentic um, people um, uh, trying to be authentic, but actually, had they have just dropped the act, they probably wouldn't have to worry anymore. Um, so I hope that answers the question. What's your take, JB? Sorry, Jonathan. Uh, you can carry on calling me JB. Thank goodness. It's fine. Um, it is like a radio show, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll let the listener decide whether they think it's of that yeah. level another time like, just unsubscribed we'll, we'll keep working at it we'll, yeah. get, we'll hopefully get reasonably good at this yeah i once i worked with this fantastic client that really lovely guy and um i won't you know i'm not going to say who where when what but uh he had a whole load of shells uh, that he described as his metaphor all over him and each one of those shells uh, was an expectation from others in his mind of how he should perform and behave. And uh, he was inauthentic and it was getting him in a right mess. He, he was, he really was very, very distressed and uh, it was very sad 
um, at the time, and he described these shells all over him. But I think it was a breakthrough moment when he actually articulated that, that metaphor. And so the, the, the task was to, to take the shells off, um, to reduce the number of shells on him. And we, we picked them off. We, we had this conversation over six months, and we, we gradually reduced all of these expectations off him so that, that he could emerge uh, from, from all of those expectations. And I, I tell you this now, he is an extremely successful CEO. And it was because he broke away from everyone else's expectations of him. And I, and I think you had, you had the word and, and it's called being authentic. I love, uh, I love a nerd, actually. I, I do love um, nerds in leadership positions. Um, because you know, so often they're just they're true to themselves. You know, I, and, and you know, hey, uh, shout out for nerds out there if, if there are any listening. Um, because you know, they, they they can be authentic, and I think that I think uh, uh, it, it it links to a quote my my opera singing daughter gave me, which I love and I want to share with our listener here, and it it is. Um, that the enlightened of the 21st century will not be those who can read, uh, but those who can unlearn, relearn, and learn. And, and I think we need to unlearn all of these expectations that people have of a leader uh, in our minds, these big, big, crazy expectations, um, and to, to kind of relearn about ourselves and who we are and what we stand for, our values, and uh, then to, to crack on and, and learn about self, to be, to be self-aware uh, and aware of others and, and aware of, of the organizations we're in and, and their needs and to get the balance right. And for me, uh, I think most people uh, can do that. I, I, think, I don't think you have to be born as a leader. Uh, I, think, I think you can find yourself um, and develop yourself into into fabulous, authentic, brilliant leaders that are comfortable with failure. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Looping that back in. So I think we have time for one more question because I'm conscious if we go, we're, we're at two hours. Wasn't there? A, there was a question I had to answer. Yes, yes. No, no, no. That's what. Oh, I'm, I see, so I'm this, sorry. This, I'm going to keep the other ones oh, back I for do, next I do week. Apologise. Yes. Okay. Um, so, is it okay for leaders to express their emotions, e.g., frustrations or cry, in front of their subordinates? Now this could be linked to what you mentioned earlier on authenticity. I think it's a I think it's a perfect perfect wrap up of that point actually, um, which is you know is it appropriate uh, to cry uh, every time the business hits its um, P and L target? Uh, I I think that would be going too far. <laughs> I, I think that would look a little bit sad really. <laughs> <laughs> Although some businesses right now. <laughs> yeah. Just doing it one month would be nice. I think they'd be forgiven for having a little tear, um, but hey, you know there are there are some very big stories uh, in organisations, people who've done extraordinary things, and uh, it, it, I have seen I have seen so many leaders cry in my time in front of their people, mm-hmm. and uh, I, and I it's not a kind of crazy narcissistic um, drama. Uh, it's actually, it might be just that a natural tear uh, flows out of their eye because something dramatic has happened 
within the business or the team or, or maybe something externally uh, and it has affected them and you know I think that's a wonderful release of emotion that people would admire and respect uh, in in anybody uh, they are human um, you know we, we are we are able to uh, show our emotions I hope uh, I, I think there is a limit I do think you know yeah. we, we can't cry over everything it would look a bit kind of weird um, but I I think it's perfectly perfectly right uh, for people to to show their emotion in an in a in a in an organization and I think actually that vulnerability uh, is very very important in building trust in a team just to be able to be vulnerable a little bit there are um public leaders which I can think about immediately Obama David Cameron have both been emotional um, on camera in recent times um, and I think you're right I think there, there is almost this taboo that crying is a sign of weakness and I mm. and I and I think that's wrong mm. um, don't get me wrong I agree with JB though I think if you're crying at every event it, it might be a sign of 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 emotional out of control but at the same time I think you're right. I think if something has moved you, um, there is no risk in showing that emotion. Um, um, and and things can be inspiring. You know, we've 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 been running leadership conferences where people get very emotional, and we've been emotional mm. when they've been emotional. Um, and I think it shows that you are together with people, and a hum you're you're a human being. You're one of them, rather than something that's that that isn't allowed to show emotions. So I, I'm I'm in on, on your side of the, the the fence on this one. This for me is yes. I think the word frustration. Um, um, I think as as long as it is it is given in a in a constructive way, and a way that uh, we are frustrated rather than I am frustrated, um, or if it's a performance issue, I guess it's a bit of a difficult question to answer given the the, the time we have, but. Um, I'm I'm all in favour of of emotions being used in the right way and authentically. If it's a real emotion, um, dealt with and handled properly, it can be a, a good thing for for that team mm. or organisation. Um, and I've been in performance situations where a leader has been frustrated at the performance and the under promising or over promising and under delivering, should I say? Um, and they are they they're every bloody right to be frustrated to mm. be quite honest um, and actually for you to not appreciate their frustration or take take on board the reasons for their frustration could be a, a sign of, of, of weakness on others parts but but hey there's another episode of a podcast right there um, so we are look we are now at two hours and two minutes probably about two hours oh with some cutting goodness. I imagine but um, there isn't much we're gonna cut I guess um, I think it's our introductory show, yeah. uh, dear listener. Um, so uh, forgive us for, for probably going over. We will tighten this up, I think. <laughs> you um, watch. There'll be three-hour episodes <laughs> next week. <laughs> but if... if um, it, well, give us, give us some uh, feedback on it as well. So if, if, you, if you feel uh, that we have waffled on too much on any particular point, just give us some feedback on it and we'll, we'll, we'll cut back. Uh, thank you to those uh, lovely listeners... Um, uh, who have participated in this, whoever you may be. And also thank you for those questions from the anonymous post-it note, note people because uh, they have great questions to get us going. Yeah, definitely. Um, what are you um, up to um, this week, Joby, in the coming week? Uh, right, so a uh, couple more 
days in Singapore uh, with some more lovely people and uh, I think I think I'm going out for a Chinese tonight oh yeah that's am I allowed to join you am I do you still want to yeah of course well then we will go to a Chinese together what about the weekend once you're back in Blighty ah right okay so uh, Saturday morning uh, I touched down uh, well we both touched down at Heathrow at 5.30 I think it is yep I then uh, go off uh, to Hammersmith uh, to watch England beat France in the <laughs> in the Rugby World Cup uh, in a bar with my my son uh, and so we're going to do that and then I'm going to stay in London that night uh, to get over my jet lag return to, to the arms of my wife on Sunday uh, and then Me Monday <laughs> we fly off to London again yes and I'm in London for a week nice um, my side uh, I like you here for a couple more days fly home uh, Sunday morning my oldest boy has a friendly as his new football team has been formed um, he's Ooh. an eight year old so I'm going to watch him play in a friendly match I believe how exciting um, which he's probably very excited about but I'm away to, to hear about to not hear about it but I am aware of it it's, it's when are you going to get him into a proper game like rugby um, well you see there isn't a local rugby team where I live oh, so okay. yet I'm led to believe that football's his thing we've just lost 20% of our audience I've just realised well, we have to call it soccer for okay. any of our international colleagues I think no, actually, I think anyway so and we, and do you know what I want to talk about football leaders at some point because I think there oh, is yes. a, there is a topic there um, and then um, Sunday probably deal with a miserable level of jet lag um, spend some time obviously with the, 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 the wife and, and the rest of the family and I probably then will get told off now for not reminding remembering something that is going on on Sunday because I don't I'm not in charge of the weekend calendar and then like you uh, London well London Tuesday I've got a day of meetings on Monday um, and then we, we kick off another recording I suspect during our London, London trip. Yeah, that'll be a Tuesday or a Thursday, I think we put that together, I I'd are. imagine. Yep, yep. Uh, anyway, so uh, thank you for listening. Um, please do hit subscribe, which I think is what I'm supposed to say at this point. I've been given some oh, guidance well done, on this. You're good at all of those. Yeah, Very if, important. If you like, subscribe. Uh, also, give us a, a, a good review. If you think if you think it's rubbish, just send us a message. If you think it's great... And we'll stop doing it. Well, yes. No. Well, I don't know. Well, we'll take the feedback. And failure. Yes. But as long as we learn from the failure, that's tell fine. Us, tell us where we're failing, and <laughs> then we'll try and fail less. Yes. Um, we will then... Um, uh, but please do leave us a five-star review if it's good, because I'm led to believe that then we get more chance of being seen by people that aren't necessarily looking for us um, so please do leave us if, it, if we're rubbish don't leave a one star review instead send us a message telling us we're rubbish and we'll learn okay great they're, they're not answering back so let's hope that's an acknowledgement that that's the right thing to do um, so I've been Anthony Price and I've been Jonathan Bradley and this has been the Global Leadership Podcast